Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox's Sake. My name is Pete Selby and it's been a long time since we've done a podcast so a warm welcome to 2019. Oh no, the one since 2019, haven't we Rob? I'm pretty sure, haven't we? Have we? Yeah. Surely we must have. <laughs> no, I think we have. We've done a new year one already, but uh, it's it's obviously my fault. Um I've been away and um I've been watching some terrible sports, and that's not watching Leicester City. It was, uh, it was the England cricket team who fared uh, uh, just about as good. Actually, that's being really harsh to Leicester because I think they've played well the last couple of games. But uh, yeah, they didn't quite go to plan in terms of sport, but had a great time. Um, I think I got really hammered one night and sent a load of social media pics out, uh, drinking, uh, drinking uh, rum and coke, and uh, I think I included the for Fox sake Twitter handle on a few of those as well. So uh, apologies. Uh, for that, <laughs> you you don't want to see that. It's, oh dear! But um, you particularly enjoyed it when I called you a beached Barbadian whale, didn't you? Oh yeah, that was it. Yeah, um, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, I, even though I saw you at the game against Man United, I didn't actually uh, I didn't actually comment on that. I, I never I forgot about that. Yeah, but uh, to be honest, you're not far wrong. And uh, yeah, rebuild Pete Selby is in operation right now. I've uh, I've just uh, I'm looking actually at my uh, at a plate in for Fox Eight HQ One, and it's uh, just got the remnants of a of a vegetarian dish that I've eaten. So uh, yeah, <laughs> eleven or whatever days it was in Barbados has uh, has done me no favors. But I've had a great time, brilliant time. Back with a bang, back with a cold, and back to Leicester after having a great performance against Liverpool, losing a home against United. So the base of the podcast will be the, these two games and what's happened regarding the two matches, the performances, the players' performances, uh, the manager's performance, where we can improve. Um, it's, a, it's a strange situation, Leicester, being out of both competitions, being safe in the league, and with a manager in charge who has... Uh, you'd have to say little support from the terraces, but with a very young team and a lot of possibility going forward, and a few question marks as uh, as well regarding the future of the club, it has to be with what's happened, and a new player thrown into the mix as well. So, um, I'll start actually, Rob, by um a friend of mine who's a who's a Forest fan actually, so he's got nothing to really shout about at the moment. Who was um. He was questioning, uh, and obviously this is an outsider's point of view, and he is a, 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 a good judge of football. He was questioning the downbeat nature of Leicester fans after the loss against Manchester United because it was only 1-0, a game which we had the majority of chances, especially in the second half, and, and probably really deserved. A, a, it, it should have been really 1-1. Overall, I think that would have been a, a correct result. And yet... There was a lot of disillusionment online and also afterwards I've seen newsreels of, of fans coming out of the ground. And it's the sort of things that we've been on about and fans have been on about for a while. But it's interesting to hear an outsider's point of view saying 
you've got a really good young side here that needs a bit of tweaking, but why is everyone so unhappy? It's a good question because uh, as we've spoken about briefly, it's um, the, the performance against Manchester United uh, was very similarly high uh, to that of the game against Liverpool. And just because we came away with a point against Liverpool and didn't manage to get ourselves a point against Manchester United makes a whole world of difference on um, fans' viewpoints and, and on social media as well, which obviously football is first and foremost a results business. Obviously, that, that is the case, particularly uh, at the level of the Premier League. But why is a point against Liverpool considered a good point, yet a narrow defeat to Manchester United in which we played well in in spells and probably deserved a result from? Why does that draw so much negativity, especially against the Manchester United side who are riding the crest of a wave under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the moment. Yeah, look, man for man, they've got more quality than Leicester City. Don't get me wrong about that. And they looked much better on the ball. Um, but they came with a different game plan to Leicester. Leicester were there to soak it up and try and hit them on the counter and play quickly through the lines where possible. United were there to keep the ball and did so very confidently. And why shouldn't they be confident? Is it 10 games in charge now for Solskjaer? Nine wins and a draw or something like that? They are just quality players who've been pretty much given free license to go out there and express themselves uh, and we gave them a very 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 good go um and came very close to getting at least a draw yes there's there's an undercurrent of frustration of the fact that if you take the game on its own merits as just a 90 minute game of football uh, could we have come away with the result yes we could but one is that Claude Powell's fault no Two, does that mean we should get down, beat, and and all of a sudden the Puel out camp comes back up again on the percentages on the polls? No, it shouldn't because um, obviously we've been we've both not been able to do a podcast together recently, but we both went on separate Liverpool-based podcasts in in the last week or so, and and I said on the cop table, I said that the the fans that consider themselves to be Puel out. That the percentages, if if a social media poll is run on Puel in or Puel out, the percentages are so much higher of Puel out after an after a result that isn't a victory or isn't a draw against someone like Liverpool than they are if you pick up a win or or a draw against somebody like Liverpool. So it's it's very much the opinion is being is being made based on one game and it's very reactive. Whereas if you look at it overall, as your friend the Forest fan did. Um, and just take a step back and look at, I think the stats came out this week that we're right up there amongst the the youngest squad, if not the youngest squad in terms of minutes played by under 23s, I think, um, well, in the, the Premier League. The stat, the stat that you're referring to, it's a very interesting stat. So, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll reply to one or, one or two things there, but the stat that you're referring to is players, I think, who are 22 or under. In terms of minutes played in the Premier League this season, Leicester are top. And to say that they are top of the Premier League in terms of minutes for 22-year-olds or under, they are top by a mile. Basically, they have nearly doubled the amount of minutes as second place has. So just to prove how young a team Leicester have... um, the the one thing I will kind of disagree on that yes people do react to game by game basis Puel out maybe keep him this that and the other but I think the undercurrent of Puel out has been there for 
you would argue actually probably about 12 months really because of the end to last season people weren't too enamoured with how it was in fact if you think back to the end of last season it was very very poor but he was given the summer and then obviously this season and because of what's happened uh, a few months ago he's going to be given to the end of the season as well but I think there has been that strong undercurrent for a good year or so. Yeah, I wasn't saying that that, that Puel out was 0% and Puel in was 100% after a good victory. It's more you find somewhere near parity on the polls if Leicester have got a good result, sort of 50-50 or just slightly in favour of Puel out. And I think that reflects the overall um, viewpoint of Leicester fans in general. There probably are more Puel out uh, people than Puel in. And that's fine. That's where you stand. Uh, not got a problem with that whatsoever. But it just seems to swing by a good 15, 20% further in favour of Puel out after those results. That's what I was alluding to. Obviously, the undercurrent has been has been rumbling on for, like you say, a good a good 12 months, possibly even in some sections of supporters since Bo was first brought in. Um, relatively underwhelmed, I think, a lot of Leicester fans were, especially with the way that he departed Southampton um, at the end of the season before he he became the Leicester manager, um, it's just it is frustrating because if you'd have come away with a draw against Manchester United, everybody would have regarded it as a good draw, uh, and it would have been very similar to the Liverpool game. Whereas, okay, we didn't we didn't manage to find that goal, but the performance level I would say was right up there. Maybe not quite as high as the one against Liverpool, but but right up there amongst some of the best we've put in this season. Uh, and thanks for clarifying that stat. Obviously, I, I didn't have it written down, but I'd seen it and I've read the article. Um, so the team that's putting out the youngest team consistently week on week is Leicester City. And the team that therefore, let's take just the last two games into consideration, has got a draw against Liverpool and more than deserved a result against Manchester United. I, I think... If you look at it on that merit alone, things are very positive at our club. How many fans and how many pundits clamour for young players to be given opportunities, young English players to be given an opportunity as well? You Chilwell, you Gray, you Madison. It's um, Barnes. it's it's it, yeah Barnes as well. Yeah, it's it's excellent. Maguire to an extent, although he's a little bit older, he's he's still coming through with 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 Premier League experience we've signed other young players as well um we'll get on to Tielemans in in a bit on this podcast uh as well but look we're top of the youth standings and all right we're we're very much la- languishing in mid table at the moment but it's very tight in that mid table some weeks you find yourself 7th some weeks you find yourself 13th and i don't think we can judge league uh, league position until the end of the season but I just still think, although there is some negativity around the club, and I do see where the Puel out people are coming from, and and that is their opinion, and they're more than entitled to it. I just think there's a lot of positivity to be to be taken from recent performances, from the stat about the youngsters, uh, and from what our squad and club looks like going forward. Uh, I agree. I'll, I'll play I'll play devil's advocate as well, though. But uh, I think a lot of anger and, and frustration and, and, and this counts for, for me as well because I am very much a 50-50 kind of guy when it comes to Claude Powell uh, in or out and the frustrations and also the excitement with the young players and the and the positivity around the club uh, all the things that you mentioned but I'll balance it out with the frustration that we do have a good side we do have good players the likes of Maguire and Chilwell Vardy, Schmeichel, etc. Players who 
you look at, and what I don't want to happen is in five or six years' time, you look back at this side and go, actually, we should have been doing a lot better. Um, this is one of my main arguments when people ask me, why do people not like Claude Powell? And I say, mainly because I think we have a really good side that should be, just like last season, should be approaching seventh place in the league and going for that European place. And then we can all go on our holidays looking at flights to wherever in in Europe. That's what we want. We we should be trying to get that seventh place. And we failed miserably last season towards the end of the season. And it looks like uh, we're not going to get there again this season. And that's one of my bi- biggest uh, criticisms. There's obviously... Uh, people people will always criticise substitutions. They'll always criticise uh, sometimes the tactics and selections. Everyone has their own uh, viewpoints. It's uh, it's very much the in thing nowadays to uh, say that uh, a certain person or or even when it comes to something like TV, um, it's biased towards uh, one side and not the other. And then you get someone else saying it's biased towards the other side and not the other. Do you know what I mean? You get people in both camps, and um, I I think personally uh, tactics wise and, and and the way he sets up sides and that, it's it, it's not as bad as as some people make out substitutions as well you're always going to criticize some substitutions i think maybe again um it's slightly over the top but uh, i will criticize him on a, a lot of things um when it comes back to these two games we know we can set up against a good team we know we can get results against good sides Hence the reason that we should be going for seventh place. But it just highlights completely the problem with the Leicester team, which is the one thing that we've been saying for a long time and a lot of fans have been saying. But now I think really a lot, I think it's now into the 90% of City fans really do agree that the main problem is the lack of creativity in midfield. And again, a lot of people were saying, well, yeah, but we've been saying that for a long time, all season pretty much. But it's it's now been highlighted by these two results, especially. You can go to Anfield and have a great defensive performance, look dangerous on the break and nearly take the game. Fantastic. That's just what a good, young team like Leicester should be doing and can do. And they did it. But then you play against United at home, play well. but And I have a number of chances, but... A, don't finish them off, and also just have that lack of creativity in midfield, which which affects the entire side. And I think now the majority of fans are on board with that. Now, is that Claude's fault? Possibly you can say, because he didn't buy someone, or the club didn't buy someone in the transfer window. We'll come on to Tillemans in a minute. Um, Also, up top, they didn't get anyone. And in the summer, they didn't address that. And you can also say about his handling of silver... Uh, Ibor is slightly different, but again, he wasn't really playing at the same time. But uh, it's so you can lay criticism at his door. Uh, it was a shame against United. They they nearly got it at the end, didn't they? They nearly got that point, and I think deserved. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with everything you've said there about the the creativity in midfield. But the United game, it didn't even necessarily need creativity. It just needed a central midfielder that could put the foot on the ball with one touch and then pick a pass, preferably a forward one, with the second. Mendy and Ndidi between them have not got that ability. And when you look at Matic, Herrera and uh, and Pogba, who played in the central midfield for Manchester United, all right, Pogba was playing further forward and, and left to right and through the middle, wherever he really fancied it, and he got on the ball a lot. But 
Matic and Herrera were just pivots when they needed them. The ball came to them and they shifted it out wide as quickly as they could. United stretched the pitch and stretched Leicester City so easily just by doing that. And they weren't particularly incisive passes by Matic and Herrera. They were just in the middle of the park, confident enough to take a touch, shift it out their feet and move the ball on to somebody more talented. And we do have talented forward players. It's just that Ndidi and Mendy seem to be either falling over each other, falling over the turf or getting the ball stuck under their feet. They cannot seem to shift the ball out of their feet and it's become very apparent that Leicester's midfield could only really do with one of them someone to break up the play um do the nitty-gritty do the defensive stuff put themselves about and for me in recent form anyway it's got to be Ndidi over Mendy I think Mendy's looked a bit um off the pace uh, physically and and technically in the in the last few weeks certainly um, but you put somebody in there with Ndidi who can actually pass a ball, a la Yuri Tielemans, all of a sudden you've got a lot more balance to the side. You've got an opportunity to knock the ball into the centre of the park and trust that it's going to then be moved on to another blue shirt. Because when we were playing against United yesterday, um, there were a few times where the players gave the ball to Mendy or Ndidi in, in dangerous situations and I thought you shouldn't have done that but there were a lot of times when they had the option to knock it into them centrally and they completely bypassed them on purpose thinking right well what is the point in giving them the ball they're either going to give it straight back to me because they don't feel confident enough to turn or they're going to turn and overrun it or they're going to turn and not be able to find the pass that they necessarily need to find and I, I, I do genuinely feel that some of the Leicester players didn't trust their central midfield too um, in, in that instance. And Claude Boyle's already said that Tielemans gives Leicester the option to play two or three men in midfield because he, he can play that box-to-box role. Uh, and I think it's he, it, our team is crying out for a player like him. Oh, absolutely. I um, I completely, completely agree. And you could say that the United side and the way that they lined up was very similar to Leicester. And they are obviously better than Leicester in terms of individual players. You can argue, actually, um, that if you look at their 1-11, to they're possibly the second-best side in the league to, say, Manchester City, you, you know, in terms of on paper. Obviously, Liverpool are doing very well, but if you get them adrift. Um, so when they set up the same as Leicester with the same, in the same type of player in their positions, then uh, then, of course, they're going to be probably one goal better so a one nil scoreline is not um is 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 not a surprise really but uh, I've I've written down actually just just before we came on air I wrote down a few things about lacking of creativity in midfield and these are the things that I noted at the game especially on on Sunday of why having two defensive midfielders and again there's no one else in the squad okay we had silver Tillemans is now there but uh, James is obviously not ready, and uh, apart from Chowdhury, who still is another defensive midfielder, I'll come on to him in a minute. This is what will happen, and it might ring a few bells. It means that one of the defenders, Alan Maguire, will have to step out of defence and be kind of the quarterback, the role that, say, Drinkwater played. Um, we'll end up having long balls from centre-half. So there was a number of long balls. Now Maguire's a good passer of the ball, but they're almost being forced into it. Evans tried it a few times, went over the top of wingers, 
and uh, they're being forced to do that because the midfielders can't pass the ball. The wingers are not receiving the ball quickly enough, which means that their game is then being compromised. The likes of Gray, who I thought had a really good game against Liverpool, uh, yes, he should have squared it at the end, but I thought he he looked really good actually against Liverpool and you know me I'm his biggest critic um he had no sort of service at all he was taken off um I don't think it was his fault at all it was just the fact that he had no service so wingers not receiving balls in the right positions either to run onto or quickly enough to then turn and run at the defense um there's no instinctive ball either over the top for Vardy a la what we used to do before or a, a through ball from deep uh that Abora maybe tried to once or twice for the likes of Vardy um, and then it, we rely on maybe a, a midfield, uh, sorry, number 10 for all the creativity, which puts a lot of pressure on a young player like Madison, who also, if you're um, an opposition, within 10 minutes, or not even that, you, you know now, all you have to do is just sit slightly back, put a couple of men around Madison, stop that, and the midfielders aren't going to do any damage. They're not going to bring the ball forward and really hurt you. The only person who'll do that would be someone like Maguire. And that all comes from not having that passing midfielder. He can change that. He can go four three three. He can go three five two, and maybe put Madison with the two defensive midfielders in a three to give him a bit of protection, and also mean that he doesn't have to do any defensive work, which he would do in a midfield two. It's um, it's awkward. Or you could play Chowdhury in there and and tell him to go and press and have a bit of a of one of the midfield two as a high presser, which we did towards the end of, or midway through the second half. Indeed, he was that player. Mendy was left at the back and then indeed he went straight forward to try and hustle and harry uh, and, and, and do the job that, say, Vardy does up top. I think that would be a, a, a more of... If those two are going to be playing in midfield for whatever reason from now on, through injury or, or because they just are, um, I would like to see indeed he be one of those who really pushes up alongside, past Madison, alongside Vardy in the press of the defence. Yes, it, may, it might mean he's out of position, but we still have Mendy there, Madison drop back, etc. Just be a bit more box to box. But we now have Yuri Tillemans, who, even though he's a youngster in terms of age, he's, what, 21, he's played an awful lot of football. He's played more club games than Mendy has. Um, I think maybe Mendy, I think the season's maybe just catching up with him. I think uh, the fact that he's had all these injury problems, he came back looking fresh as a daisy, and I think maybe he just needs a bit of a break almost. You know, maybe just a, a few games on the bench coming off, possi- uh, coming on possibly. But uh, this guy seems to fit exactly what we want. Now, we don't know what he's like. You can see all the show reels on YouTube. I mean, I could look half decent on YouTube if we edit it in the right way. But well, actually, I might not go as far as that. But with there's going to be a lot of pressure on this guy. But I'm the first person just to say, right, wait and see, and um, the guy can always improve, and it might take the time to settle. No, not this guy. Um, he's not been bought by the club. It is a loan swap. But have Leicester got a deal in place to sign him in the summer? No. This is a shop window for him. We know the ties that Monaco and uh, Claude Powell have from the past, and that's probably why we've got him. But Leicester do not have a monopoly on the signing of this guy. So if he turns out to be a bit of a star, he could easily go somewhere else. Um, If he turns out to be a flop, yes, he's okay. He's on loan, so we can send him back. But I was surprised he wasn't on the bench. But then again, he's just turned up at the club, so... I wouldn't rant and rave about him not being in the, the first team squad 
for the game against United. But I would not only expect him to be included in the squad when we play Tottenham, I would actually expect him to start. Yeah, he said he's coming. He's come to Leicester because he really likes the family feel of the club, and and that's um, a large factor in both recruiting players and keeping players as well. You know, the, the likes of Casper Schmeichel genuinely love being at Leicester, love the feel around the club, love the the close community nature of its relationship with the supporters, and I think Tielemans has felt that when he's come to Leicester on his visits and his medicals, etc. Uh, and yeah, look, nothing's nothing's set in stone for the summer. But if he is made to feel really welcome, if he plays well in a Leicester shirt, if he feels like the Leicester City want to look after him as a person as well as a professional footballer, then there'd be no reason why he wouldn't want to stay should a permanent deal become an option in the summer, like a permanent swap or something like that. But look, he's, he's only recently stopped playing so much for Monaco because uh, of the arrival of Cesc Fabregas, which is, I mean, that's no, um, no real... Uh, uh, slight on Tielemann's ability being being ousted from the starting lineup by a player of that kind of calibre. Uh, but he's already bagged, I think, a f- a five goals-ish, I think, this season. As you say, he's played over 200 career appearances and he's played in the Champions League pretty much every season since he turned pro and made his professional debut at the age of 16. So it's, it's the best of both worlds. You're getting a young player who's really hungry uh, and is physically at the top of his game, but also... He brings the experience of somebody that you'd expect maybe 24, 25 at the very least. And yes, the showreels, they look great. Um, And he's continually made a step up. He started in Belgian football. He made the step up into French football. And now he's, in my opinion, taking another step up into the Premier League uh, from French football. But it's the attributes that he possesses that make me say and I've, I want to be careful, very careful the way I word this that he could be the missing piece in this young team's jigsaw we've talked a lot um, on this podcast and in previous episodes uh, about the need for somebody in the center of midfield to enable the transition between uh, between the phases because Mendy and Ndidi are, are both great at breaking up opposition attacks but they don't allow us to transition as quickly as we perhaps need to uh, in order to be effective in football matches. He could be that player because he seems to have a lot about him physically which I think is the main thing that Adrian Silva was missing and the reason that, that, that they've been swapped over is Silva just couldn't cope physically with the Premier League. I think that's a fact. Uh, technically excellent footballer Obviously, he's been part of a, uh, the Portuguese squad that won Euro 2016. Uh, he's a very talented footballer, but physically wasn't up to it. Tielemans is quick. He's powerful. He's strong. Um, but technically, he looks excellent as well. He can score goals with his right foot, his left foot. His passing range and ability uh, is excellent. He's very forward thinking. And I think he has all of the attributes that mean that he could be a player that makes a huge difference to us this season. Um, I, I agree fully with your point about not putting him on the bench yesterday, although I kind of did at the time think, oh, maybe we could have had Tielemans on the bench as an option because we didn't really look like we had a lot to change the game on the bench. Um, if you'd have brought him into that game after, say, say when Madison came off for Gazelle around the hour mark, if you'd have brought Tielemans into that game instead, the, the hype around him 
and the focus and the sharpness of the of the spotlight on him on making his debut would have been so strong that if he didn't have the game-changing impact that obviously him being put on for the last half an hour was intended to do then people he he would have got off on a bad foot in terms of people's opinions of him because um Obviously, people listening to this podcast predominantly are Leicester fans, and I don't want to put a blanket over every Leicester fan, but the booing for the Gazelle substitution was absolutely appalling uh, yesterday. Um, so I, I just I just didn't want Tielemans to get off on the wrong foot. So I think him, I agree completely, Pete. I think he's, he's in a great position to be starting against Spurs on Sunday. And I think then and only then can the Leicester players see him uh, to begin to see how he could impact this Leicester team. Him coming on to try and save a game with half an hour to go would not have done any favours for anybody. Start him in the middle alongside Mendy or Ndidi away at Wembley and let him show what, you can, what he can do from the start. Yeah, the flip side to that is when it comes to a player just signing for the club and they're not included... We don't know. We have no idea what happens. Behind the scenes, this guy could not be fit. He could not be ready. Uh, he could have been sorting paperwork. You never know. So um, him not being included in the squad, disappointing. You know, he could have he, he could have come on with t- uh, 20 minutes to go, though, in a, uh, with the game, say, level or the game 1-0 down as we were. And he could have maybe changed it and it could have helped him settle in. So there is another side to that. But I think, um, I think for me, if he's not included in the squad, then th- th- you have to take it on face value that... There is an obviously a reason why he's not in the squad. You know, um, if he's not playing on um, on Sunday, then there will be questions. Then for me, there will be questions. But I will allow one game because again, you don't know what's happened behind the scenes. He's just joined the club, but uh, yeah, completely agree. And all the lack of creativity in midfield, all the things that I mentioned, you, you you can apply that to the loss or the the downturn in form for Ndidi from the player that we had a year ago by having someone similar alongside him. You can equate that to maybe the likes of, say, Gray not really kicking on because he's not being fed the ball enough or in the right times. All the the things that I mentioned that happens to a side or happens to Leicester when they don't have uh, a passing midfielder, it it does have that steamrolling effect on on the rest of the team. I've I've never understood in, uh, in, in football why, especially some of the big teams, Monday night football's on as we are talking now. Liverpool are playing, and for years Liverpool have had a, a a poor goalkeeper, and I've never understood why they've never gone and got a real top class goalkeeper as they have now, because it it affects then all the defence. Even though the defenders might be the same players, it will affect the defence by having that. At Leicester, we know obviously we've got Danny Ward now, but by having a, a goalkeeper in. Um, in place of Schmeichel before, it upset the defence. So it's one player can make a, a difference to the rest of the entire side, and and I think that's that's what's happening. And and obviously with with Mr Vardy up top as well. Uh, interesting, you see that um, that clip doing the rounds of Vardy apparently uh, saying something about Puel. Uh, lip reading experts out there. I've watched that video, and not and it's been retweeted and uh, uh, you know plenty of times. I've watched it a few times. I can't really see what he's saying. I, I, I don't know whether it's me or not, but it doesn't look like the most obvious thing in the world that what people are saying. He, apparently, he's called uh, Claude Puel something to the Liberal, uh, to the United players on the pitch, the cameras uh, at the end of the game. But it, I don't know. For me, it's uh, yes, he probably thinks that, but uh, it doesn't quite look as uh, 
as uh, as clean cuts as it is. But back to Tillemans, we'll just have to wait and see. We'll wait and see. We've signed players for millions of pounds and they've not worked out. But this guy seems to tick all the boxes of that exact player that we need. The exact player, which at least uh, Puel and the club have actually gone and got. And we'll see what happens if if he plays really well and he and uh, he ends up signing for the club. Then then there we go. It's uh, referring to the the booing as well. We were both sat there in the commentary box and we both kind of looked at each other when the substitution was made. I will say that Madison was in a Leicester performance in the second half, which was decent up until he got substituted. So up until, what, the 60th minute, roughly, uh, Leicester were playing well. And I will say that the that was not down to Madison. I thought Madison was being well marshaled by the defensive midfielders, Herrera and Matic. And I thought that Leicester's play in that second half wasn't really down to him. So the fact that he got dragged after an hour is not surprising because of his performance. Now... Is he the one... People will be saying, oh yeah, but he's the one player in the side who's got... Of course he has. He's got that uh, through ball. He's got that free kick. He's got this, that and the other. Um, And Gazelle, who comes on, hasn't lived up to anywhere near what we hoped he would be. But then he came on and had a really good free kick and nearly scored a a great goal and actually played okay, to be fair, Gazelle. He's terrible in the tackle, although Madison's not exactly great. But Gazelle, when he gets back, my word... We thought Riyad Mahrez uh, didn't really like a tackle, but at least he got positionally okay and did a little bit of work, but Gazelle's awful in the tackle. But the booing is just because Madison could literally misplace every single pass for an hour. Every pass. Miss a penalty and all sorts, and then get taken off, and there will still be echoes of the booing all around the ground. That would, you know, that would still happen if he had the worst game ever. And he got substituted for Gazelle. He would still get booed, Poel, for that decision. So it's not surprising, and it, it just will happen. Uh, that's my theory on the booze. Yeah, well, we both had headphones on uh, at the time because we were obviously providing our, our match day commentary service for the visually impaired supporters at, at Leicester City. But I, I heard the booing a little bit. They, they are noise cancelling, but obviously we have microphones as well, and the sound pick, kind of picks back through there. I had to take my headphones off. Um, just to check that, there, that that it was booing. And I was surprised about how loud it was. We don't often get a measure of the exact atmosphere when we've got those headphones on. So I took them off and it was it was pretty, pretty loud. The large sections of the supporters were letting their feelings be, be very much known. But I think Gazelle came on and had a decent impact. He did exactly what you want a winger to do when you're chasing the game. He came on, he tried to beat players. He tried to play some give-and-goes. He tried to bring, bring other players into the game. And if he if if there's any other goalkeeper in that United goal other than David De Gea, I'm not certain that they get to that Gazelle free kick because it was an absolute peach. He is picked out as you said on the commentary at the time, Pete. If you, it is literally the the stereotypical, the anecdotal postage stamp. They're very 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 top corner, and De Gea has reached with all of his uh, agility to get there and almost collided with the post in doing so, but. Gazelle bags the equaliser against United. All of a sudden, the Leicester fans would feel much, much differently, more differently to him, and that's kind of the point that you were making there about Madison. He, the man can do no wrong. Whereas, really, second half he wasn't really in the game. Obviously, he picked up a knock and 
and, and with a player like Madison, especially the amount of um, contact he's going to get with um, tackles coming in on him and such because he he goes and seeks the ball so often and he's always trying to do a little turn or a little flick around the corner. Uh, he's bound to get caught a few times. So whether that just was playing on his mind and, and he had that little niggling knock um, that caused him to not be so effective in the second half, obviously we don't know, but he, he has tended to run out of steam a little bit in, in many of the games. I still think physically he's got a long way to go in terms of being a 90-minute performer in the Premier League, certainly at the level that you can see from him in 20, 30-minute spells. But I think Gazelle did really well. And just think, right, if you're playing for a team or say you're watching your kid's football team or something and you know that the kid or the or the the player that's coming on as a sub is lacking a bit of confidence, hasn't settled so well in the team, you'd be wanting to boost them up. And if you if it was your teammate and they were just coming on, you'd say, oh, yeah, keep your head up, mate. Have a go at this. Get, get stuck in. Um. I don't know why that changes just because you are a paying customer at Leicester City. Uh, and look, you've got every right. If you pay for your ticket um, and it's a lot of money to go and watch football and you sit in that stand and you want to boo, you boo. I'm not telling you not to. I'm just saying from my point of view, I think it is um, the, the least helpful thing that you can do. Yeah, I... I... Uh, per- personally, I I wouldn't, but that's I'm I'm sit I'm sat here right now. I'm trying to think if I was in that position, which maybe next season I will be. That I'm a paying customer, uh, or sorry, it's a customer. That's a, completely the wrong word. Paying supporter of the football club, um, and I have the right to. Be, of course you do. Of course you do. You know we're, we're not sitting here saying like you know don't or but I, um, I wouldn't because it's just I, it just wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't think to do it. Again, playing devil's advocate, uh, the home performances have been really poor. So if you are a season ticket holder and you've been going every week, you've seen some pretty poor performances this season. The majority of the good performances have been away from home. Yes, you've seen the victory against Man City at home, but overall at home they've been, you'd have to say, poor slash very poor, really. And almost and, and the games that they have lost... They haven't really performed. You look at the, the game against Cardiff and the Southampton game, to name a few. So I can completely understand why people are annoyed with that substitution. Absolutely, 100% completely. But um, but there you go. It, it, it was made. I, I'll agree with you on Madison. We've said before, he's not yet a 90-minute man. He gets brought off and looks shattered. But he does go missing in-game. So when they're looking at changing things after an hour, Leicester are in the game, they're going well. And then you look at the two wingers, you look at Gray, who, again, I'll mention, he never really had anything in terms of a ball to his feet and then a chance to run at the defence or a ball. of It It didn't quite work. I would say it didn't quite work for him. It, he just wasn't given the ball. I can't really remember him kind of misplacing a pass or, or playing poorly. It was just that he got no service. On the other side, um, Barnes... Played well, had a good game. He looked direct. He looked incisive. He looked everything that we want Gray to be. When Gray, the thing that impressed me with Gray against Liverpool was how he he looked taller, he looked broader and stronger. And when he got the ball and he did a trick, he was still moving with the ball. He didn't stand there do it. He actually was travelling past players. Next thing you know, he's twenty five yards further up the pitch. And making passes. That's exactly what you want Damari Gray to do. And the performance against Liverpool was exactly the performance I want from Damari Gray. Barnes was doing that on, on Sunday. 
and hopefully that will rub off on Gray. Barnes looked good, was unlucky with a couple of shots, but at least he's direct running at players, taking an opportunity to shoot. Uh, the layoff for Mendy to Barnes, which I mentioned to you on com, he only had to lay the ball five yards or just cushion it to him. He wasn't the greatest layoff in the world for his bending effort by Barnes in the first half. That went wide. Maybe could have done better there, Mendy, but well, fingers crossed with, with Barnes and Gray. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse you, you had that cough for uh, a little while, Pete. You just, uh, it, I know. You're struggling with the cold weather since you got back from sunning yourself in Barbados, haven't you? I really have. I've come back and the, the problem was I sat next to a guy on the plane. One guy next to me was about nine foot seven. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely not nine foot seven, but kind of spilling over the seat. And the guy on the other side was just ill. Just, you know, coughing out of the cold. And I'm there going, oh my God, it, was, it wasn't the greatest flight back in the world. But uh, yeah, I've landed and literally got a cough. I'm all, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm fine. You know, it's, it's, uh, and the cough is always the good thing because that's the end of it. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, so it's absolutely fine. I did have a real coughing fit in the second half. <laughs> On com, Rob, uh, occasionally had, when I look over to you to, to come in with a bit of analysis, that's going to last about five minutes because <laughs> I'm, uh, I've gone into a bit of a cough. Coughing fit, but uh, once you start as well, it's uh, it's uh, well. Most of the time, I didn't even notice. I thought, oh, this is a bit exciting for Pete not to be saying anything. I'd look to my right, and your microphone would be off, and you'd be looking like you're about spewing your guts up over the side of your chair. So I just sort of <laughs> join in uh, and, and cover for you. But I, I hope that you acclimatise. Now it's getting a bit milder. Shall we? Um, shall we look ahead? Shall we look to Sunday away at Spurs? They're um, they're somehow. They're somehow back in the title race um, by hook or by crook. They're winning games very, very late. They've got some staying power, you've got to say, uh, especially judging by the fact that their squad is getting smaller and smaller by the second in terms of injuries and what have you. But they've got Son back and that makes a massive difference to them because I'd have fancied us to to have given them a, a real good go if they didn't have Son because without Son uh, and Kane, they... they Look like the goals would dry up. Uh, all right, Llorente's okay as a target man, but he's not—he's not your twenty-goal a season Spurs striker. Um, but now Son's back, they—they they pose a real a threat for us. Um, we've met—we've had good performances against United and Liverpool recently. Uh, well, obviously the last couple of games, and then in against other top six sides back in uh, uh, around Christmas time, you know, Chelsea and Manchester City. Um, the Chelsea Man City games were four three three. The United and Liverpool games were four four one one or four two three one or whatever you want to call it. How would you go about it on Sunday? Would you put Tielemans in with one of Ndidi and Mendy, or would you play Ndidi and Mendy just to take a little bit more pressure off Tielemans and say, well, you can be the man with less responsibility to help you bed in. Just want you to get on the ball play forward and play positive. What what do you reckon, what would you do if you were Mr. Puel? I'll tell you what, I'm actually very, very confident about the weekend against Tottenham. They've played very well all season and we know the problems they've got injury-wise. They came back to beat Watford and they beat Newcastle, which, uh, you know, 1-0 Newcastle. But I think we've got a real chance um, on Sunday, strangely enough, again, against a big club away from home. Uh, Wembley etc and I would go with the 4-3-3 and I would do exactly what you were just saying at the end there I would have Tillemans in midfield alongside 
and Didi and Mendy, and there's going to be people shouting now. What are, you, what are you crazy? You've just spent the first forty minutes, thirty-five minutes, saying that you've got to break up Mendy and and Didi. Yes, if they're going to play the formation that we've been playing at home, the the, the four-two-three-one, but the four-three-three, um, I think suits Leicester away from home. I think they can have the three in midfield. They don't have to be wide. They can be quite narrow, very well, very narrow. You can have Mendy and Ndidi. And then Tillemans. Tillemans, with the understanding that he doesn't have to get back and help out defending alongside the two City midfielders. And then you have the three forwards. And you would have Vardy and then two alongside him. Uh, just behind, you would have uh, probably someone like Gray and Barnes, for example, uh, would probably be two because you'd be playing the counter-attack. How about having that? Barnes, Gray and Vardy uh, counter-attacking with Tillemans just in behind. Sounds good. Um so that's the approach I would go with. I would go with the 4-3-3. Um, you can always go with the formation we had against uh, Manchester United. The flat back four, the two in midfield, one being Ndidi, one being Tillemans. And then the three in behind Vardy, either Madison, Barnes and Gray or some kind of combination like we've had. That would be a formation that we will play at home. Uh, that Claude Puel likes to play. But I wouldn't be surprised if he goes with the 4-3-3. And that's probably what I would do because it means that Tillemans would have just that extra bit of license uh, to get stuck in, but also then start the counter attacks. That's that's the approach I would go for, and and I'm confident. Remember the you know the crazy game against uh, um, Tottenham at the end of last season. I can't remember the scoreline, but I know it was what five three or four three or whatever it was. Um, goals all over the place, <laughs> or actually the game where. Iniacho scored a brilliant goal and we thought maybe, you know, the next season he'll kick on. But obviously that's not really worked out. But I, I actually do fancy Leicester's chances, especially if it stays either as a draw or Leicester ahead or in the game for longer and longer and longer. You mentioned that Spurs have a great record at the end of the game. So maybe I'm going against what I'm saying. But I think the longer that Leicester are in it, I think Leicester have more of the ability than some of the sides that have been there recently to actually do some damage late on, uh, rather than those clubs like, say, Newcastle, who are always going to be holding on uh, pretty much for the entire 90 minutes. But I fancy our chances. I'll go with, with the 4-3-3. What about you, Rob? Yeah, I'd agree with you, because uh, although 4-3-3 sounds very narrow and sounds very limiting, especially because you'd probably be asking the two that were playing either side of Vardy to be relatively central too, um, which is why it lends itself well to, to using Madison if you want to in there. Um, but... What it does do is it allows Chilwell and Ricardo a further license to get forward. Now, I think Ricardo, yes, okay, it was his mistake that led to United's only goal of the game, whatever, but it's a rare mistake for him. He's having a fantastic season. He's a great signing. He's exactly what, what we want to see in a lesser player. Hardworking, good quality, up and down, honest footballer. I think he offers so much going forward that in the back four with only a two-man midfield. He's quite... He does get forward, but he's, he's he's limited. He's always looking over his shoulder thinking, are we going to get caught on the break here? If you play three in midfield and tell Ndidi and Mendy both to sit, then Chilwell and Ricardo can both go pretty much as far forward down the wings as they like. Uh, and Ndidi and or Mendy can just drop in to flesh out the defence alongside Maguire and Evans. And although Chilwell's delivery in the last couple of games hasn't been fantastic, he does offer a lot of energy and a lot of threat down the left-hand side. And then 
say someone like Gray starts wider on the left but gets the license to drift inside as part of a front three. Chilwell on the overlap, little interchanges there would be great. Tielemans with some later runs from midfield and, and just having the the extra layer of creativity and confidence to push the ball forward more often than not. I think it's got the potential to be both a very compact formation when you need it to be because you could always pull in the two that were playing either side of Vardy. If you were under the cosh, pull them in as wingers and set it back to a 4-5-1 quite easily, but then f- make it fluid in transition into a 4-3-3. Um, I think it's got a lot of potential as a formation for Leicester City. And it just I've just reminded myself of a point I wanted to make there about the back four. Uh, Wes Morgan not been in the starting lineup for the last couple of games. And I think justifiably so, not in terms of the fact that Wes Morgan's been playing poorly and needed to be dropped, but I genuinely believe that's our most able back four. That is the the highest quality back four that we have got at the moment. I just don't think Morgan and Maguire bring the best out of each other. I think Morgan and Maguire both need to play with somebody like a Johnny Evans um, just to steady them down uh, and somebody who will do what needs to be done at the heart of the defence. And then Chilwell and Ricardo are obviously our best full-backs. Um, I, I, I don't know what you think, Pete, to, to Wes Morgan being... I, I don't want to use the word dropped because he hasn't been dropped. I think it's a sensible decision that Claude Puel has used um, to to make our defence the best it can be at the time. Does it mean the end of Wes Morgan's Leicester career? Absolutely not. Should it? Absolutely not. But for now, that's our best back four. I think I think completely right. Um when it comes to uh, the fullback Pereira, yes, it was his uh, mistake that led to the goal, but it's a mis- mistaken pass. Um, I would say the performances, and you can go back to as far as, say, Newport, etc. Uh, Simpson has been caught out a couple of times. I would say, and he, he brought Simpson back into the fold, and he played well, Simpson, but... Um, and he he likes to play him against when he's going to play ultra defensive against some of the big clubs. But I would argue that Pereira is actually now as good as as Simpson defense wise. He's got a great leap on him, and he's not really being caught out at the back uh, like he was maybe a couple of times in in the first few games of the season. So he's clearly the first choice right back. Completely agree with the centre half positions. Um, Morgan's been playing. I think Morgan's been playing exceptionally well this season. Very very well. Uh, once or twice, of course, caught out for being um, not the quickest. He did that in the uh, greatest escape season. He did that in the league winning season. It's it's going to happen with a guy like that. Um, I would argue maybe the last few games that he's played, uh, he's been caught out a couple of times. So in terms of players being replaced for other players, um, I am not surprised he's not playing because of one or two errors in the side. Yes, he's captain, uh, club captain, etc. But uh, I agree with you that Maguire and um, Evans are the best back two partnership at the club at the moment. Um, And I would say that Morgan, just because of a couple of mistakes in the last few games, no problem. You know, we're going to go with this back two and we'll see what happens. But he's going to be on the bench and he's going to be the first person to come on if there's an injury or for whatever reason, not a problem. And I would still like to see him probably have one more year at the club if he's going to be club captain and maybe not being in the first team uh, starting lineup every week. That's fine, but I still would like him to have at least one more year as an influence at the club 
And again, as someone who you know can come in and still play, I think next season he'll still be as good as he is this season. Um, and 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 I agree in midfield. In fact, I'll, I'll I'll just change one aspect of the team. I mentioned the three in midfield: Tillyman's ahead of Mendy and uh, and Didi. I would change that. I would actually have Chowdhury in alongside Ndidi. I think Mendy. Uh, I said before, maybe it's because of all maybe all the injuries he's had, all the the lack of game time. Tillemans is twenty one and he's played more league games than Mendy has in his career. Um, maybe Mendy, because he's not played an awful lot of football in the last two seasons or so, he's been pretty much on the go since he's come back into that team. Remember the home game, whoever can't remember who it was against, but all of a sudden, bang, M- Mendy's in the first team and he played really well and he's been playing well all season. He's just tailed off quite considerably, I'd say, in the last uh, three to four matches. I think it's time now for Chowdhury to come in and start ahead of Mendy if they're going to be playing alongside Ndidi. I think that's what should happen. So I would yeah, go with those think, three. And think um, how young that central midfield three would be. Well, that'd yeah. be that'd be exciting, wouldn't it? It would be it would be very, very young indeed. It would be you'd have twenty one two twenty one year olds and a twenty two year old, but 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 get them in there. And and what but just to reiterate the the forward three, you said Madison, because the the three that would be quite narrow, I would still go with Barnes and Gray. Um with Vardy up top, I wouldn't because you'd be playing very much on the counter. Um, I would argue that Gray and Barnes, alongside with Vardy up top, would be better for that. Now, if the game then develops, that Leicester actually have quite a bit of possession. Maybe Tillemans is playing really well, and we're keeping the ball, passing the ball around, and having possession inside the Tottenham half. That would then enable you to bring on someone like Madison to say, "Right, we've got the ball in their half. Here you go. Go and do your stuff with it." Uh, that's the approach I would go. Yeah, but equally, if you wanted some more attacking threat, if you were a goal or or two behind with 30, 25 minutes to go, you you look to the bench and you see, right, we've got a genuine option, a genuine goal-creating, goal-scoring option in James Madison on the bench. Whereas when you looked at the bench on uh, yesterday against Manchester United, you would not have seen anybody on there really that could come on and make a positive attacking um input so maybe it is time to look at Madison and say okay if he's not got the full 90 in him then why don't we play with the young um, physical lads that have got plenty of pace like Graham Barnes either side of Vardy and then use Madison to come on and pull some strings um, later on in the game and, and use him in the in the latter parts of the game rather than use him all, all of his energy up in the first hour and then leave us with no way of changing things uh, in, in a positive manner towards the end of the game. Um, let's have a prediction then, Pete. We don't always do this on the podcast, but just to to wrap up, I reckon I've been fueled by your positivity um, and I reckon that we'll do Spurs 2-1. I completely agree. I think I was going to go for 2-1, so I'll have to go for something different. Okay, I think we'll, we'll win in by one goal in five. I think we'll win 3-2. Just purely because a run like Tottenham have been on, it, it can't carry on like that on the threadbare squad that they've got. Or, well, I mean, threadbare in terms of first team players, they, they do promote a lot of youth. Uh, they do very well with that. But um, it's uh, I, th- I think Leicester have a tremendous chance. And and um, and again, we've got you know plenty of doom mongers around the club, and and understandably so. Again, just to reiterate, you know. We're, I'm not completely Puel out. I'm not completely Puel in. I'm I'm very much fifty fifty because of 
the fact that we don't know what's going to happen in the summer. We don't still know the structure of the club and what it's going to look like. So for me, I would, you know, I'm, I'm a big critic of him. But also, you look at the squad and you see a lot of possibilities. We do need passing midfielders. We need another centre-forward or two. And there needs to be, and there will be, I think, a, a big shake-up in the summer in terms of a lot of players leaving. People like Okazaki, etc., Fuchs will be going, and players who have not quite made it. I think there'll be a trimming of the squad, as there has been in the January transfer window. The likes of Andy King has joined the huge battalion of former Leicester players at Derby County. Um, they're almost worth watching now because there's so many Leicester players or former Leicester players uh, there. But there's a there's a big trimming of the squad. Now, whether that's because we've not got European football and they want to reduce the wage bill, etc., etc., or maybe it's just a very good plan or, should I say, squad management by, uh, say, like John Rudkin and Claude, by saying, look, we're going to literally get rid of the waste keep players who are of a certain age or, 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 who can develop still and then sign first team players that's what I would like Leicester to do I'd like them to get rid of a lot of the older players keep obviously Morgan but go with all the 21 year olds 22 year olds and then bring in the three or two or three real first team players uh, that we need to really get for that go for that seventh place sixth place uh, and hopefully or maybe get a trophy next year because that's all it takes that's all it takes it takes one or two players and I think it will really click at Leicester obviously we'll see who's in charge but I think we've got a good chance uh, this Sunday whether that's the uh, the cough medicine just taking an effect or not I don't know but uh, we shall see and of course it's on TV as well I tried to actually go it was a shame because I'm down near that neck of the woods and uh, I'm working till uh, one o'clock so I don't think I can get to Wembley in half an hour, but uh, which is a bit of a shame because I think there's a million tickets available uh, in all sorts, all parts of the ground. So that's a point as well. If you are um, if you are thinking of going, or you didn't, you didn't even think about going to see the game, I think you could get a ticket. You won't probably be in the Leicester end, obviously, but I think you'll be able to get a ticket, no problem, and just sit with your hands, uh, sit on your hands for the three goals that Leicester will score. 